Isaiah chapter 23, the burden of Tyre. Do you remember the burden of Tyre, the island city state in the Mediterranean? God judged Tyre by Nebuchadnezzar, restored it to its former greatness after that destruction, then converted some of them. The Phoenicians were masters of business, shipping and trading, but Tyre mistreated the Jewish church, so God planned to judge the haughty and rich mart of nations, as the Bible calls her. He crushed her for 70 years and then restored her to financially help the regathered Jews and the church. Do you remember? The burden of Tyre. Howl, ye ships of Tarshish. As the report concerning Egypt, remember chapter 19, the burden of Egypt, now it's the burden of Tyre. The earth is going to be shocked that these two great nations are put down by Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord of hosts hath purposed it to stain the pride of all glory and to bring into contempt all the honorable of the earth because they were esteemed to be the honorable of the earth for their riches and business acumen. They didn't fight wars. Tyre didn't fight. Tyre made all their money by trading. They would take a piece out of all your action by shipping it across the Mediterranean. And it shall come to pass in that day that Tyre shall be forgotten 70 years according to the days of one king. Very interesting if you want to learn the word of God. One kingdom. Babylon. After the end of 70 years shall Tyre sing as an harlot and the Lord will encourage her. Do you remember? Take an harp. Go about the city, thou harlot that hast been forgotten. Make sweet melody, sing many songs, that thou mayest be remembered. And get your clientele back so that you can fund the church. And that chapter ends with durable clothing. Do you, do you remember Tyre? And, okay. The rich and famous do not escape God's judgment. Both judgment and restoration were for the church's sake. The world operates for the church's sake. The Bible has fabulous information about nations if we will just read it and learn. Calling Tyre the mart of nations, mentioning some of the destinations of her ships. And so I shared this Phoenician trade routes with you. Because way over here on the right hand side is Tyre and Sidon right next to each other. A place where Jesus did visit in his earthly ministry because it's not far from Galilee. 24. The next four chapters are connected to each other, 24, 5, 6, and 7. The judgment of Judah, then it will be the deliverance of Judah, the praise of Judah, and the prosperity of Judah. God judged Judah by Babylon, which we know is a major Old Testament Bible event, saving only a remnant, but then glorified Judah greatly. And so we have an outline for it that will be there on these slides for you in the future to easily get a thumbnail sketch of a chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah 24 is very obscure until its context is set by examining its content and the next three chapters related to it. God had to punish Judah for their many national sins, and he used the king of Babylon to do it. But he also delivered the remnant left from Babylon and gave them greater glory than before for his praise. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste. And so it's a universal term, but it's only for Judah. And you find out by reading the whole chapter and the next chapters to see how the Lord is using those words. Remember, we had universal terms in chapter 13, and it was just Media and Persia destroying Babylon. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. And here's one of the keys to reading a chapter carefully so that it tells you who's under consideration. Because they have transgressed the laws 
changed the ordinance and broken the everlasting covenant. How many nations on earth had God made an everlasting covenant with? These are the things you punch the air and celebrate when God shows you something like this in a chapter. First find the context, then define the content by it. Treacherous dealers are lying prophets of Jeremiah. This chapter refers to treacherous dealers doing very treacherously, and you need to go read Jeremiah, especially chapters 40 and 41, about Ishmael's treachery against Gedaliah. I had you read it for preparation back a couple of months ago, but then you'll understand real treachery is Ishmael against Gedaliah. It's a terrible story in the Bible. Universal terms here are another great chapter to use to show that they're limited, but because this context is obscure, you wouldn't want to use it with someone else. You'd want to use chapter 13 or chapter 34, which is about Edom and can be figured out more easily. Chapter 25, the deliverance of Judah. God's fabulous deliverance of the Jews from Babylon by Cyrus the Great would reach farther and higher to Messiah. Now this is only 12 verses long, but it's celebration. Look at this. Celebration, celebrate, celebrate. Wonderful things to celebrate. God overthrew Babylon for his church. Gospel blessings of time and eternity would include the Gentiles. God would also destroy other enemies of the Jewish church in the region of Judah. O Lord, thou art my God. Jordan. Does it sound familiar? O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things. That is what a New Testament church is. If it is not a feast of fat things, you have a spiritual problem. You are rebelling against God's word and what actually is in the word of God, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and being among his people and singing the praise of God and his son. It is a feast of fat things. It is a feast of wines on the lees, fat things full of marrow, wines on the lees, well refined. And he's going to take away the covering cast over all people. That means us Gentiles are going to be able to see the truth. And do you know this verse at all? He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Do you praise Jehovah like the opening verse here? I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. The feast of fat things is gospel wine and milk of chapter 55 that we won't get to today, but I know that it is in the top five of many people. Chapter 55 of Isaiah. All enemies of Christ's kingdom would be destroyed. Chapter 26. Do you know, what's in 26 that you already know? The name Jehovah. Praise of Judah. A song of celebration from several angles for the Jews' rescue from hated Babylon. The Jewish church sang about Jehovah saving them from 70 years of chastening in Babylon. Here is the character of the righteous, how God exalts his people and how he answers prayer. He promised to resurrect Judah from their state of death in the dust of the earth. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. And here's a verse you know so well. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. If you don't have perfect peace, there's a very simple solution. Your mind is not stayed 
on him. It's wandering all over, foolishly, profitlessly, to your own confusion, consternation, and destruction. It's a choice. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. Those are two wonderful verses, and they turn to be an imperative verb telling you to do it. You know, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace is indicative, explaining something that is a fact. But then it becomes an imperative, trust ye in the Lord forever. O Lord, our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. Those are the rulers of Babylon for 70 years. But by thee only will we make mention of thy name. We don't care about them anymore. We only care about you. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors. Hide thyself for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Just let me get Cyrus to take over the city and he's going to release you, but it's going to be ugly for a couple of days or a week. It was very quick. And remember, the Lord can shorten a conflict for the sake of the elect like is taught in Matthew chapter 24 about the destruction of Jerusalem. Amen. This fabulous song is much more than two verses. You know three and four right here, but it's much more. Favor, we were taught in Isaiah 26. Show favor to the wicked, it will not change his nature. In the land of uprightness, he'll still be doing iniquity. Advice here to hide is like Jesus to flee Jerusalem. Here in verse 20, Jesus said the same thing. When you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, Flee the city and hide in the mountains. And so in Isaiah 26. Chapter 27, the prosperity of Judah. God's overthrow of Babylon would allow him to replant his vineyard in Judah for fruitfulness. I'm just teasing you. Do you remember some of the good things in the first four verses of this chapter? Yes. Let's get to the verse. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword. The Lord has a sword and it is sore and it is strong and it is great. He'll punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he'll slay the dragon that is in the sea. That is God with Cyrus defeating the Babylonian dragon. In that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. Does this get in the top 10 or 20 of anyone in here? Top 40? A vineyard of red wine. So different from chapter 5, where they brought forth wild grapes instead of sweet grapes. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment. It doesn't say I'll water it every day or I'll water it every week. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. To lay hold of these promises. Make them your own. Lord, I believe. Fury is not in me. Does anyone remember that? Fury is not in me. It's okay. I've chastened you now. I love you now. I have no fury left. Who would set the briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. If anyone tries to hurt you, I'm going to burn right through them but I don't have any fury for you. Amen. Wonderful. Yeah. He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Savor the precious phrases in the first four verses that I just shared with you. God chastens his sons, but he destroys the wicked. See, he brought them back from Babylon, but he destroyed Babylon forever. 
It's a huge difference. God would blow a trumpet to gather all his people that is in these 13 verses of Isaiah 27. So 24, 5, 6, and 7 were connected. They were the judgment of Judah, the deliverance of Judah, the praise of Judah, and here, the prosperity of Judah. Because the Lord's going to water it every moment. We sing a song, I need thee every hour. The Lord does better. I'll water you every moment. That's shorter than an hour. 28, judgment by wisdom. First Israel, and then Judah. This is one of the harder chapters for you to follow. It's one of the harder chapters to preach. Isaiah 28, first Israel and then Judah were to be judged, though differently, for their rebellion and wickedness. Both nations were wicked, but they had to be judged differently because God still favored Judah because of the anointing. Israel's ten tribes were proud, so God mocked them before crushing them. He would be Judah's glory and diadem. But they rejected his prophets, so he would also judge them. And it ends with farming, illustrating his perfect providence to all. Do you remember that? When you hear Isaiah 28, you should think, oh yes, that's the one that has six verses at the end about farming. And it's not really about farming, though it's about farming. It's really about how God providentially knows how to deal uniquely with each nation and with each person. Just like a farmer deals with each grain differently. It's just a beautiful comparison. Woe to the crown of pride. This is God mocking the drunkards of Ephraim, who are the ten tribes. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. For his elect, God will be that to them. Is the Lord a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to you? Be, be his residue. Let's make our calling and election sure in this church. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Do you remember? That's how infants are taught. That's how little children are taught the alphabet. Give ye ear and hear my voice, hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Is that all he does is plow? No. He's got other things to do. Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? Is that all he does? Or does he put things in the ground? Nurture them? Harvest them? Process them? That's the last chapters. What did we alter? Our understanding of here a little and there a little is for infants, not scholars. There's no wisdom in the passage for understanding the Bible better. It's how infants were fed and it's what irritated the... It's, it's how the Jews mocked Isaiah about his teaching methods. Farm wisdom is to exalt God's chastening wisdom on dealing with each of us differently. Chastening is God's strange work, we're told in Isaiah 28, but he will do it. He'd rather just show you favor. He'd rather just bless you. It's his strange work. Isaiah 29, the judgment of Judah again. I'm sorry that I'm not creative enough to come up with a new way to say judgment of Judah. Judah's judgment? Just to be different from a couple of the others in front of it, but that's a lot of what Isaiah was about. God would judge Judah with war and with blind confusion before great revival. Isaiah 29. When you think of Isaiah 29, Isaiah 29, think of spatial disorientation. That's Isaiah 29. God sent Sennacherib to punish the Jews, but he saved them in the end by his power. 
he also blinded them with confusion for their hypocrisy, like he has done to most today. He promised a great revival after crushing Assyria, which occurred under Hezekiah. And that's the little paragraph description of the chapter. Woe to Ariel, a nickname for Jerusalem. To Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Ah, thank you, Lord. I know what Ariel means. Stay yourselves in wonder. Here's spatial disorientation. Cry out. They are drunken, but it's not with wine. They're staggering, but it's not strong drink. Because it's the Lord. The Lord's at work. He's poured it upon you, the spirit of deep sleep. He's closed your eyes. And all ministers are shut down from being able to know the truth. This is against scorners. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off. Do you know there are people that heart, that, whose hearts are so black, there's no grace in them, that all they can do is focus on the negatives of a person. They're scorners. Other than a son of Belial, there, or reprobate, there is no term in the Bible lower than a scorner. A scorner is way below a fool. They see the negatives in other people, and that's what they focus on. And they watch for iniquity. God has cut them off. They make a man offender for a word. Listen, there's not a sermon I've preached that you couldn't, question, that you couldn't pick on 20 words. I don't care. I'm not going to change. Next year, it'll be 30. Amen. But see, around those 30 words, there's 145,000 words that are spoken that will profit you if you can listen to them. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding. This is the revival that I mentioned in my summary. They'll come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. God will judge even his favorite place and people. Notice up here in verse 1, this is a place that God loved. It's where David dwelt. But God will judge it if it stays in sin. Spatial disorientation is by God's perfect judgment. He turns their worlds upside down so they do not know what is up or down, left or right. God hates scorners, and so do we. We cast out scorners, and peace will come in. Strife will go out when you get rid of scorners. They strain for gnats and swallow camels. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ's word for them. Isaiah 30. Okay, do you see that number one? I can't go to jump to the next one. Isaiah 30, there's two chapters in a row that are mocking the Jews for wanting to go to Egypt for help against the Assyrians against Sennacherib. And so there was money sent down there to buy the help of the Egyptians along with the Ethiopians. But we've already met with that before. We're just getting a repeat here, and it's from a different angle. Judah evilly sought help from Egypt, but God saved them and then revived them anyway with the revival under Hezekiah. Sin breeds sin. Sennacherib terrified the Jews, so they paid Egypt instead of trusting God. Offending further. There's the second sin. You know, paying money to Egypt. The first sin was not trusting God and calling upon Him to deliver them. Assyria easily defeated Egypt, shaming Judah. God killed 185,000 Assyrians. Hezekiah started a revival, all crammed into Isaiah 30. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that, see, there's... Sin breeds sin, that adds sin to sin by going down into Egypt, and they haven't asked at my mouth, and they're strengthening themselves on what they think is the strength of Pharaoh. What does God think about the strength of Pharaoh? Now, come on, there's a little phrase in this chapter that some of you really enjoyed. 
His strength is to sit still. Do you remember? Here it is. Their strength is to sit still, for the Egyptians shall help in vain. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Do you want to be strong? Sit still. Amen. Sit still. Did the Lord ever tell some of the kings in, the, in Israel's history, stand still and see the salvation of God? Amen. And it's right here. Do you remember we had to work that verse pretty hard? Because at first pass, if you just glance at it, it's Pharaoh should sit still. That doesn't make any sense. Look, I can't do it right now. There's no time. Which say to the seers, listen to this kind of wickedness that was in Judah. What's a seer? He's a prophet. What does see not mean? Don't prophesy. We want to despise prophesying. Does it say in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, despise not prophesyings. What does that really mean? Love preaching is what it really means. Prophesy un do not prophesy unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things. And see, that's what people want to hear today. They, do, they will no longer endure sound doctrine. They want to hear fables. Ye shall defile the covering of thy graven images, and you're going to throw them away like a menstruous cloth, and thou shalt say, get thee hence. There's only one way to clean up your life. Throw it out of here. Throw that stinking thing out of here. Now, Lord, does he, does he communicate the point well enough? The Lord cometh from... Oh, I, I like this. This is how the Lord talks about himself through his prophet Isaiah. The Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue as a devouring fire. And that's what he did to Sennacherib and the Assyrians. Sit still or even sleep. Can I justify that from the Bible? That there's a time to go to bed and just turn it over to the Lord? Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Itching ears want to hear fables instead of doctrine. Hate sin like menstrual rags. Get it out of here. Chapter 31. It's number 2. It's the short version. This had 33 verses. This one's only got 9. But it's the same thing. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, who stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. They're counting things up. Well, statistics, statistics should work. Probabilities should describe. No. Look to the Holy One of Israel. Because the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. That is just so beautiful. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword. The Assyrian shall fall with the sword, not of a mighty man. How did 185,000 die in one night? Not by a mighty man. And the sword, not of a mean man, an average man. So it's, if it's not a mighty man, and it's not an average man, the mean of something is it's average, an average man, then is it a weak man? Or is it something else, someone else? But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. And he shall pass over to his stronghold called Nineveh, for fear and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. Okay, look, are there any words in English that can be put together better than that in the previous slide at the end? These are fantastic, graphic words of God's glory, strength, vengeance, fury against our enemies. They're wonderful verses. Do not miss the importance of Sennacherib to God. That's why he's in the Bible 
so many times. God wants to save and bless His people if they will. Faith trusts the invisible God to do things invisible. There is no God with the furious power of our Lord Jehovah. Chapter 32, Hezekiah's revival. Hezekiah led a revival. When you open up Isaiah 32, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes, princes shall rule in judgment. Your first thought will be, if that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and the princes must be his apostles. But if you read the rest of the chapter, you find out that it's Hezekiah. And the revival that Hezekiah brought about. Do you remember verse 8? Have I taught you verse 8? The liberal deviseth liberal things, and by liberal things shall he stand. Do you love to think of some way to get rid of money? That's what good men do. Good men get rid of money. The liberal deviseth liberal things. He imagines, where can I send some money to help someone? And by liberal things shall he stand. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, or how a man can lay up in store for himself a good foundation against the time to come and to lay hold of eternal life by doing that. Here's another warning about women at ease. Tremble, ye women that are at ease, that are taking it easy through life and are not sober, fasting, praying, and begging God for mercy. Ye careless ones, strip you and make you bare and gird sackcloth upon your loins. Because it was going to be terrible as the Assyrians came into Judah. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness. If you go back to my summary paragraph... There's going to be trouble from Assyria, then there's going to be revival. And here's revival in 16. Judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Now, that's three pages in a row. Is there, are there any better, better words than that of how you want your life to be? Should I read it again to you? Can you see it? Judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. Do you want a fruitful field? And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. That's a revival. Godliness and revival depend upon great leadership. Back up here to verse 1. Great leadership. True revival and prosperity are spiritual in nature. In nature. Thus, verse 16. Careless women at ease are the bane of any society. 33. A collage of blessings. I mean, it's got 24 verses, and it's there's that many parts to this chapter. I did not make up parts because I didn't want a green section at the bottom of this left column. This is how many parts there are in this collage of Isaiah 33. Woe to thee that spoilest. God mocks Sennacherib and Assyria. The Lord is exalted. He dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness and wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Are you familiar with those verses? I want my family to be familiar with those verses. That is the revival under Hezekiah. They're wonderful. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Our answer to CDC, lockdown, and everything else the world's trying to throw at us. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Do not forget Sennacherib is one of God's favorites. True revival and prosperity, again, are spiritual in nature. As Sennacherib mocked God here, God mocked him. The burden of Edom. Uh, that's the chapter that explains the traveler in red. 
from Isaiah 63, 1 through 6. All you've got to do is get in there a little ways and find that it's about Edom, who's called Idumea, because Edom means red. Esau means hairy. He came out hairy all over. Esau does not equal Edom. Esau equals hairy. Edom equals red equals Idumea in Greek. Basra, remember Isaiah 63? Well, here's the long version of it. It's the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. What was that? They encouraged the Chaldeans in the destruction of Jerusalem. Why am I going so fast? You know why I am. Isaiah 35, a return to Zion. This chapter starts off with glowing terms, as we'll see in a moment. It's the reversal of fortune. There's only 10 verses, but it's the reversal of fortune for Judah as they're brought back out of Babylon and the Lord's blessings on them extending all the way to the times of Messiah and the gospel of the New Testament. Say to them that are of a fearful heart. This was encouragement to them. It's not going to last forever. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you, because the 70 years were coming to an end. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, and an highway shall be there. There's lots of highways in, in Isaiah. Lots of highway and highway work. Cast it up. Cast it up. Fill in the low places. Shave off the high places. Level that road out so that we can move as fast as possible into the kingdom of heaven. It's the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. The unclean don't get into the true gospel of, and kingdom of Jesus Christ. But it shall be for those, and I fit here so well, wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. The highway will be plain enough for even fools to get into it and not get lost. And I thank the Lord for that passage in Isaiah 35. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God sent Cyrus in and so forth and so on. Chapter 36. Okay. Chapter 36. It's Hezekiah's danger. What was that? Sennacherib and Rabshakeh. Remember, this historical account is in the Bible three times. Why is the historical account in the Bible three times? Well, Isaiah... Before he gets into the good stuff of Babylon, Cyrus, and Jesus Christ wants to close down the first half of his book properly. And because he's had so many prophecies about Sennacherib, now he puts the history in there for the third time. The history of Kings and Isaiah is so close that some speculate that Isaiah wrote that part of Kings. I don't go there. I don't need to. I know there's one author of the whole book, and it's the Holy Spirit. But Isaiah 36 is Hezekiah's danger. You don't need any help with it. I've taught it to you too many times. Okay? Oh, I taught it to you even this way. Do you remember me sending you this? The three accounts side by side? Oh, yeah, and I, I've done pictures for you. And there's Rabshakeh. There's Sennacherib. Let's get to 37. What's 37? Hezekiah's deliverance. He gets a letter. He puts the letter in front of the Lord, and the Lord has an answer. So let's go, you already know that, right? Because it looks like this and like this. The virgin daughter of Zion 
hath, la hath laughed thee to scorn. She hath despised thee. The virgin daughter of Jerusalem has tossed her head at thee. Yes. Yes. That's one of my favorite Bible stories. This man is scared. He does not know what to do. From all natural standpoints, he's helpless. And so he prays. And the Lord has an answer. Send this message to Sennacherib. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn, buddy. She hath despised thee and tossed her head at thee. Chapter 38, Hezekiah's sickness. Are you all familiar with that? He has a fatal disease. What does he do? He turns and prays. Watch how he prays. I got to get one thought out of here. Remember now, O Lord, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. Did it work? Did it work? How in the world does filthy rags work? Throwing filthy rags at the Lord? Amazing. Why do they work? Are you all with me? Look what he said. Did it work? It's an incredible prayer. Isaiah had taken about 20 paces and had to turn around and come back in and give him 15 more years. I have heard thy prayer, and it offended me greatly because all your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Oh, Lord, I love your word. If we'll just read it and trust it and believe it and, and reconcile it. What if Hezekiah had bought the filthy rags lie? What's that? His glory and wealth increased greatly by four events. What four events made all the kingdoms of the world send gifts and homage to Hezekiah? I went over it before. Healed of a fatal disease. 185,000 Assyrians killed in one night. The sun moves backward 10 degrees and doesn't have to plant. And the crops come up by themselves and feed the nation for three years. Remember? So this happens. All the nations of the earth come and pay him homage, and it goes to his head. And the Lord left him to see what was in his heart. That is what it says about Hezekiah. The Lord left him. The Lord left David. The Lord left Peter to show what was in their hearts. And those men served the Lord better after having been let go by the Lord. After what David did, look what the, David did the rest of his life to build that temple. Exceeding magnificent for the Lord. Look at Peter the rest of his life serving the Lord because the Lord left Hezekiah and Hezekiah showed pride. See, ambassadors from Babylon came. Hezekiah was glad of them. He loved the attention from the mighty Babylon. Remember, Babylon was just on the rise. It was starting to be greater than Assyria. And he showed them. Look, you just go through this list. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. So God said, all that's going to be taken off to Babylon, including your sons, who are going to become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. What we just did is rip through four historical chapters, 36, 37, 38, and 39. When you think about Isaiah, the great divide in Isaiah is between 39 and 40. What's the great divide in the Bible? It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many books in the Bible. 66. How many chapters in Isaiah? 66. How many chapters in the Old Testament? 39. How many chapters, did I say, how many books in the Old Testament? 39. 
how many chapters in the first part of Isaiah 39. There's a great divide right here. And, and Sennac, Isaiah tied it off perfectly by sticking in four historical chapters to show that the majority of the prophecies in the first part of the book were fulfilled. The second part of Isaiah. It begins with Messiah and ends with much more New Testament glory. It includes God boasting of Cyrus and the defeat of Babylon. It describes the person and redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. It describes the glory of the Jewish church as the Gentiles pile in and the church explodes. Boasting about God. Do you remember this? The 40s of Isaiah. Isaiah 40, comfort my people. Comfort ye my people, chapter 40 begins with. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Who is this guy crying in the wilderness? Is it this guy right here, John the Baptist? It is. Who, but the Lord, verse 12, look at verse 12 right here. God's infinite power, wisdom, and glory. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? How, how much can your, the hollow of your hand hold compared to the Lord? Remember, the, this is, these 40s are wonderful. I, I love the first 39 chapters, but I doubly love 40 on. They're wonderful. This is my God right here. He measures the Pacific Ocean in the hollow of his hand. It took 18 hours to fly over that thing, or 15 hours or something, didn't it, Eric? Too, too long is the best answer over that Pacific Ocean. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare unto him? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. All crammed into Isaiah 40, and it is one of the favorite chapters of people that read and appreciate Isaiah. Isaiah 41, a challenge to a debate. Remember, God called the nations to a debate. Here it is. Keep silence before me, O islands. Let us come together to judgment. Let's have a little chit-chat about your gods versus me. Who raised up the righteous man from the east? That Cyrus the Persian. Who raised him up? Now he's still 150 years away. God raised him up. Called him to his foot. Who said, come here, sonny. I've got a job for you in the earth. Gave the nations before him and made him rule over kings the king of Babylon in particular. Who did that? God did. In a debate, no other God can do what I did. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. And we sang that. I love this verse, and I have for a long time. The worldview, the proper worldview, should have a verse like this in it. Produce your cause. Anyone else. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. We have the answers to every question and every dilemma. We have final truth and wisdom on all subjects in the Bible. They have nothing. Bring your best. And this is the Lord speaking because the Lord's the one holding this debate. Behold, ye are of nothing and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. 42. The mighty Messiah. Behold my servant... 40 starts off with Jesus, comfort ye my people. 42 starts off with Jesus. 41 is about Cyrus and the greatness of God and his ability to prophesy. 43, I gave Egypt for thy ransom. I have long time holding my peace. Verse 14, that means it goes right down here. God would war against Gentile idolaters. 
Do you remember that God let Gentiles worship idols for 4,000 years? But then Paul stood up in Mars Hill and said, God used to wink at that, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. I hope you remember Isaiah 42 a little bit. This is, one of the, this is the first of six times Jesus is called the servant. Do you remember Jesus would take care of bruised reeds and smoking flax? And he would not fail, and he would not be discouraged? Does everyone else you know gets discouraged except this one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. 43, a ransom to save. Since thou was precious in my sight, precious in the sight of God, you've been honorable to me, I've loved you. Therefore, I'm going to do something. I will give men for thee and people for thy life. I will burn Babylon to the ground. Eventually it did. It's mounds and heaps today. I will destroy Babylon to get you out of it and to come home. Because I love you. You're precious in my sight. You're honorable to me. And I've loved you. Great stuff. You're my witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses jump on this. And they wouldn't know Jehovah if we gave them a 10-inch volume about him. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans. Don't remember what I did with you in Egypt. Don't think back to things of old because I'm about to do something better. It's something new. I've blotted out your transgressions because I've chastened you for 70 years. I won't remember your sins. Salvation of all kinds includes sacrificing others. For, for you to be a vessel of mercy means that God chose a vessel of wrath in someone else because he had to have both. Grace is defined. I forgive you for mine own sake. Where is it? It's right here. Right there. What is grace? I forgive you for my sake. Not because you're better. Not because you're good. I forgive you because I forgive you. So I went a little farther on that in a sermon called I Gave Egypt for Thy Ransom, which is verse 3. I started these slides with verse 4. Chapter 44. The folly of humanity. In sermons over my 35 years of preaching, I have mentioned this chapter many times because it's my favorite of God mocking idolatry of the man who takes a tree and cuts it down and uses one-third to bake his food, one-third to heat himself, and he holds his hands over the fire. Ah, I have seen... We all do it. Ah, it feels so good. I have seen the fire. And then he goes, i got a third of this tree left over. I'm going to make me a god, and I'm going to fall down to it and worship it. That's Isaiah 44. And the residue, that's the third left over, maketh he a god, even a graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my god. This god, remember, we're building up to Cyrus right now because we're in Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44 is going to end with Cyrus by name in verse 28. 45 is going to start out with Cyrus by name. He frustrateth the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish. All the cabinet of Belshazzar were turned to be idiots. They, had no, they were partying the night that Cyrus 
took the city because God blinded them. Don't you worry about anyone in our country. God will take care of us. God is messing them up and he has blinded them and exposed their ignorance to the whole world. That saith of Cyrus in verse 28, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. God's promises are certain over men and over situations. There's nothing that can hinder him. Knowing Cyrus opens scripture, knowing Cyrus opens scripture and glorifies God if you learn about him. God mocks idolaters and wise men like our pandemic. He has mocked their models. He has crushed their models. He has crushed their forecasts because he's God. And it's the folly of humanity thinking they know anything when all we know is what God reveals to us. Please stand with me.